part 10 in a study called Mark It Up. We're walking through this into the early fall. Uh, if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn to Mark 9 with me. Um, this is an interesting passage today, as they all are. They're very intriguing. They, they uh, reveal our hearts. They speak to us in incredible ways. In this particular section, though, it starts off with this event that is unbelievable. It's called the Transfiguration. You know, his buddies, his disciples, or the, the inner three, if you will, they're hanging out with him in the most amazing, dazzling light show happens. They, they go there together, fall asleep or whatever, and they hang out. And then they look, and Jesus comes into this brilliance. I mean, just the glory of God falls on him. I mean, I'm thinking, wow, that would... You know, we say sometimes, you glow. Well, man, this one was really glowing. I mean, it was just incredible what happened. Um, but before that, it opens on a mountain here in uh, Mark 9. Look there with me. Let's jump down to verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain to be alone. And as the men watched Jesus' appearance was transformed, that's the transfiguration I'm talking about, his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. And then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. So it's, but right there in the very first, it says, they took him up, or he took them up to a high mountain. So many times we read in Scripture, we, we see mountains, and a lot of times we, we just kind of glaze through it, we, we blow through that, we don't really think. And yet there's a term that we'll use sometimes, we, I know I've used it the last 40 years as a believer, man, a mountaintop experience. Uh, I would say to our students and leaders that just went to Mexico, I pray that that's a marker, a spiritual mountain high for y'all. Would any of y'all agree with me? Yeah, I mean, man, God, we were praying that God would do significant things, and my goodness, you contributed and demonstrated your faith, and you, I was praying, I don't know the name of the family, but the home, the ninth home, you just built and dedicated. I thought, wow, what a difference you've made in that community today. But mountaintops, I, I like mountaintops, and yet I call this mountains and valleys because it's fun to be on the mountain, but then God calls us down to the valley. And in the valley, I've learned that that's where things really grow. That's where the fertile soil is. But the mountaintop experience is like, God, I want to stay here. And so as I was studying this, I looked at it, that mountains occupy a special place in God's Word. So let me just give you a few if you want to write them down. Genesis 22. It's Mount Moriah. And God manifested his presence and his grace there to Abraham. Mount Sinai. That's where God handed the law down to Moses. Pretty big deal, the Ten Commandments. Mount Carmel. I love that in 1 Kings. That's where God demonstrates his power against the prophets of Baal. Mount Horeb, where God ministers to the troubled heart of Elijah. He's having a hard time, and God meets him at the mountain. The ultimate mountain that I love more than any is the Mount Calvary where Jesus goes to the cross to die, to sacrifice his life for us. So I could build a case that mountains are pretty big to God. And in here, just as you open up that Gospel of Mark, you see right there, they're on a mountain once again. And in that special place, I think that's where God wants to meet us. Now, we all go through life, and hopefully we have some mountaintop experiences that are great, they're spiritual markers. But also in those valleys where we find hardships, and hard times, and we're frustrated, and we lose our patience, and maybe, maybe we've even uh, doubted and become skeptical. Those are hard places. But in the valley, I assure you that God, he meets us. These guys, they're on the mountain, and Jesus gets transformed. 
His glory, the Bible, they would call it the Shekinah glory of God falls on him. I mean, it's unbelievable. But when these guys come down from the mountain, they go back down to the valley. These are the three. The other nine have not had the mountaintop experience. And they find themselves right in the middle of a difficult work. Matter of fact, let's look here in verse 4. And then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. So this is, this is pretty significant. Elijah, the great prophet, and Moses, I mean, you know, these are, these are great guys. And Peter exclaims, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's build three shelters as a memorial. I got to thinking, this must have been the first building program, you know? Like, hey, let's, let's, let's erect something. Let's build something like God's, like, no, I don't want you to build anything. I, I want your heart. And this morning, it's no different in 2018 than it was thousands of years ago that God wants our heart. He wants to build something. But these three men, he, he, he singles, uh, he, he, he puts them aside at different times in Scripture. One case was a daughter of Jairus where he raised her from the dead. These three were present. So that was pretty significant. The Garden of Gethsemane, these three find themselves there, very significant where he's going to endure and, and contemplate the cross of Golgotha. So it's going to be a powerful scene. But here in this one, he, he meets him again. So, so look at this. Look at verse 6. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Now, you noticed earlier, and so many times Peter begins to speak. When Peter doesn't need to speak, he just takes the liberty. He's just verbose. He's quick of mouth. Hey, I, I'm just curious on a, a side margin. Do any of you ever speak before you think, and you, or you did think, but you didn't think it through, and you spoke it, and you wish you hadn't have said it? Do you just kind of hold your hands up like this right here? How's that working for you? <laughs> it doesn't. And, you know, and, and I was thinking about this yesterday. I, I was reflecting, I was praying, and I was just thinking about, God, slow me down to think more, to think your thoughts. Because here's Peter, man. He's just, he's out, you know, Peter's always ready to proclaim Christ. And he stands up and he's a valiant warrior for the Savior. But sometimes he speaks like, Peter, you, you know, I, I don't need you to speak. And here, here's the other thought that I thought that I think is kind of interesting here. That you wonder why these three are so close. And, you know, I think because they're, they're in his presence. And, and the other nine, they're, they're not having that same experience. So as he, as he goes back down to them, they haven't had this mountaintop experience. They're, they're dealing with people. They're dealing with demonic activity. It's just a, it's a tough situation. But yet they're, they're enduring and, and they're hanging in there. But in this transfiguration, if you looked at it in the Greek, it would come down to the word metamorphosis, which we know of a caterpillar. It, 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 it would manifest. It would change. So the presence of Christ changed. And once again, I've got to take us back to a truth that I've repeated a couple times in this series, that every time Jesus Christ shows up, every time that Jesus Christ works, things change. They change. I think about in my pilgrimage with Jesus, I think about your walk. I want you to think about your walk with Christ, if you have a walk with Christ. Things begin to change. And they're ever-changing till you see Him face-to-face. And they saw an earthly transfiguration of the glory of God. I'm wondering, man, can you imagine that day when we see Jesus and we face our Savior, the one that endured the cross, the resurrection, the life, the truth? Wow. I just, you know, I, we don't have words to describe how magnificent it's going to be. It is going to be stunning to see the King. And the church said, 
I mean, man, that is, I mean, there are some beautiful sights on this side of glory. I'll give you that. I, I, man, I love sunsets. Oh, man, they're, they're, they're phenomenal. I, I love flowers. Man, they're beautiful. Oh, no, no, no. I just love life. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, man, to see the face of Jesus. Just thought about mine and Donna. We have really good friends. Actually, he's like next to her. He's my best friend. We met when we were five years old, and his wife's blind. And, uh, man, terrific, dynamic Christian. And yet, I think about her so many times about when she gets to see. Oh, we, we see in this physical, but she sees spiritually. But when she gets those eyes unveiled and she sees Jesus, I'm thinking, wow, it's going to be magnificent for all of us. So here's this pre- uh, presentation here. They're here on this mountain. There's this experience. And yet, look, move on down here with me. Look at verse 7. Then a cloud overshadowed them. Now, that'd be a little scary. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly beloved son. Listen to him. I wish I had a God voice there, you know, but I don't. I, I like that. One translation says, Hear him. Listen to him. Oh, man, what, what a Savior. Listen to him. You know, th- that's a whole message right there in itself. This morning, I want you to think about it. Are you listening to Jesus? Well, Pastor, if I'm honest, sometimes, kind of. Oh, yeah, he's, he, man, he's got my attention. I, I was in Mexico. I, I was in Germany, man. I've been listening to the voice of God. That's awesome. Continue that. You're saying, man, I didn't go anywhere. I'm, I'm about halfway listening. Hey, do you, do you, are, you, are you ever in your home and somebody's talking to you and you see their lips moving, but you don't really hear them? Does that ever happen to anybody besides me? And, and, and I find as, I, as I'm getting a little bit older than I used to be and too many rock concerts in the day, uh, I, I'll, I'll say something, Donna, I'll say something, and I'll walk out of the room or, or whatever, and she'll still be talking. It's like, I, I heard noise, I heard, I mean, not noise, I heard words before I left the room, and I'll come back in, and she'll just look at me like, yeah, and I'm like, I, I, I didn't hear you, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, mean, I, I got I to gotta, I gotta slow down, I got to listen to you. And then anytime you get something running, like a, a, a fan or something, or some kind of shield or something, it just, it just kind of blows us away. But here, Elijah here. This is what I like about Elijah here. He, he, he talks about him here. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm not there yet. So let's keep going. Verse 8. Suddenly they looked around. Moses and Elijah were gone. They saw only Jesus with them. Good person to see. Verse 9. As they went down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone that he had, what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. There it is again. Jesus is like, I'm not trying to create a big commotion. I'm not trying to tell everybody. And yet, these three have had this mountaintop experience. The other nine haven't. They came down the mountain. What do you think the other nine are asking? Hey, what happened? What, what, you know, I don't know if like an angel grabbed their tongue or whatever. They really couldn't speak. And, and sometimes, you know, we need to speak. Sometimes we don't need to speak. But here, here's this powerful scene here. But let's, let's keep going here because they're like, man, we didn't experience what you did. Verse 9, as they went back down the mountain, don't tell anyone. And you had risen from the dead. Verse 10, so they kept it up to themselves. They kept it to themselves. But they often asked each other what it meant by raising, rising from the dead. Jesus would talk about this rising from the dead. And like, oh, we, we, we don't get it. Or we, we want to believe. We, you know, the group of Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. We, we, we know you are, but we, we have unbelief. Help us. Verse 11, when they asked him, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? And then Jesus responds in verse 12. Elijah is, is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet why did the scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they chose to abuse him, just as the scriptures predicted. 
Elijah was a man that had a powerful mantle from God. And he wasn't always treated great, but neither was Jesus Christ, the, the Messiah, the Son of God, the living Christ. And yet, when I look at this, I think about, like Moses, he, you know, he, he had to die. And he, and, he, and he died like we died. He died a physical death. And then Elijah, you know, how he was taken up. And, and we're going to die that way. We're, we're going to die in this life. We're, one day our heart's going to stop beating, and you're, they're going to pronounce you dead. Like, okay, no more. Or Christ is going to come again, and he is going to take us to be with him. We're going to be caught up with him, and, and we don't get to choose which one. I mean, that's God's deal. That's his sovereign lordship, his sovereign reign. But we'll be like him. We'll be like Christ when he calls us, if we know him. So let's just keep moving through these great truths of Scripture, this, this whole thing overshadowed by the cloud. It's powerful. Now, is, I, want, I want to j- jump down to verse 14. Look, at it, it changes. So we go from glory and honor and the Shekinah glory of God and the transfiguration and the presence of Christ and everybody being just wowed and to now there's another miracle there's another demonic activity uh, a, a boy's demonized that shows up look there in verse 14 and then when they returned to the other disciples they saw a large crowd surrounding them and some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them when the crowd saw jesus they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to greet him let's stop there that just happened that was a common occurrence for jesus everywhere he went the miracle worker's on site. The miracle worker is in the next village. He just healed somebody. He just cured somebody. Miracles are happening all around the life of Jesus. He just gave this incredible talk over at the local synagogue yesterday. I heard him. He spoke words with authority. Where do they come from? They came from his father. Just amazing as we look here. And yet, here in this section, let's look at verse 14. So they're overwhelmed with all. They run to greet him. But in verse 16, what is this all, all this arguing about? And Jesus asked them this. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. They wanted Jesus to give him a touch. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. And then he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast out the evil spirit but they couldn't do it now it's interesting there they recognize that there's power in jesus and these disciples are followers representatives of jesus and and in other times they'd had power and miracles that happened and here it's not happening i mean man they're like man what's happening is is there a disconnect what we're, we're confused we, we we don't understand jesus we we need something but I want you to continue to look at the scripture here because it's so interesting. So he brings his son to heal him, and his spirit throws him on the ground, but he, but he, but he, but he can't do anything. But look at verse 19. This is, this is where he gets down to the heart. And maybe it speaks to us because sometimes we're like these disciples. Now, maybe a lot of times we're like them. Verse 19. And then Jesus said to them, You faithless people. One translation says, You faithless generation. I'd just probably fill in my notes here right in there real quick don't be known as a faithless faithless generation as a faithless people in verse 13 i want i want to before i get so far down i want you to write in there glory the glory out of suffering goes in that first blank in the outline 
there was glory that came out of the suffering of the life of Christ. In this life, we might suffer, but it's all for the glory of God. You know, the, the verse that I've told you over the years that I pray a lot is that I might know Christ and the power of his resurrection, quoting Philippians, the uh, Apostle Paul. But that verse goes on with this part, that I might know the power of his resurrection, but I might know the fellowship of his suffering. That's part of following Christ is to suffer. I don't know anybody that wants to suffer or that signs up for suffering. I mean, who would? Man, we want it to be sunshine and good and awesome. And we don't want to suffer. And yet we look at our Savior and he understands suffering. He came as a suffering servant of God. And he shows us what the law could never show us. So there is, you get this second section, I want you to fill it in. Victory out of defeat. Down the valley, when Jesus comes off that mountain, he goes down into the valley. And every time I see Christ down among the people, whether it be Zacchaeus or Peter or whoever it is, compassion exhibits itself. Jesus is such a compassionate God. This morning, our God is not angry with us. Our God is for us. Our God loves us. We sing about these great truths of God. And he's here for you right now. And he is compassionate towards you in all your mistakes and in all our sin. Our God is there. He's made a way to a holy God through himself. Is that good news, church? No. Is that good news, church? God has made a way. I don't have to attempt to go... You know, if, if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be going, we got to go build these houses in Mexico every quarter because we got to earn points with God. We've somehow got to earn our way, and there's false religions and cults that teach that. Earn your way, earn your salvation. It is by grace that you are saved, at least any man should boast. It's the grace of Jesus. That's what God's calling us to here. So this victory comes out of defeat, but yet they, they can't cast out. The evil spirit. Let's look here at the text. Verse, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. He fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. And how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. Now, I cannot imagine having a little boy that has such violent behavior and uh, this spirit comes on him and it throws him out. I mean, wow, I'd, I'd be looking for healing too. I'd be going to doctors. I'd be going to the temple. I'd be going to church. He's saying, God, heal. But look, look. Verse 22. The spirit often throws him to the fire and to the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us. Help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? You see, guys, this morning, we've come to worship a God that parted the sea. We've come to worship a God that raised the dead to life, that he is the resurrection and the life. We have a God that can. Can't is not in his vocabulary. He's an awesome, all-powerful, all-working God. Now, we can't manipulate him, but he is all-capable. He is all-able. And look what it says. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. Now, let's just stop right there. When anything is possible if you believe. Because at this point, they're pretty impotent in their faith. Man, there's not 
any miracles working through them. There's definitely not a deliverance or exorcism of this demonic spirit out of the boy. And yet Jesus says, it's possible. Center your faith on me. Your, my, your ability to see this done is in me being Christ, being Jesus. It's not in man. It's not in you. It's in my character. Now, let me, let me just say this, because there's so much of this um, propagated today in our world. As we have exploded through social media and all the different networks and just, I mean, there's just so, I mean, we, we, we can get Christian television and programming 24-7, and that's all well, well and good, and a lot of it's really, really awesome, but there's also a lot of false error and doctrine. So here's what I wanted to say. This thing, if I just have enough faith, I would have unlimited health, I would have unlimited wealth, that must be God's will for me. Now, there's this thing called depravity, sin that came in, uh, here, here, I, I wrote down this word here. The word of faith movement. I understand what they're trying to do there, but this whole thing, this prosperity gospel, if you can just believe it, brother, you can receive it. Well, that's not totally true. The, the whole premise is we've got to be centered in on what God wants, on God's will. We can't strong-arm God, and it's God's character, and God will never violate His character. And God's people said, that's so good, church. I know you're saying, well, you're kind of, you're kind of passionate about that. It's because I, I hear just this false stuff, and I understand we get it from the world, or we get it from whatever, and we mean well, and it sounds good, and you want it. But then we suffer, and you're like, well, I, I didn't have enough faith. I, I spoke it. Well, I mean, I want us to have faith. I want us to speak the Word of God. That's not what I'm saying. But to, to, to miss this here would be to miss Christ. This whole thing, if you can conceive it, you can achieve it. Uh, here's a thought. The positive of power thinking, if you just have positive thinking, everything will be good. Now, guys, I don't want you to be a bunch of Christian Eeyores. You know what I'm saying? Oh, well, you know, if it'll happen, it's going to happen to me. You know, I go to the front door, and every time I go, it bumps me in the butt on the way out. It just hits me. I get in the car, and I fall off the curb. Oh, well, it's me. Oh, man, I don't want to walk outside with you, okay? That's not what I'm saying. And I want us to be positive, and I think to be a Christian is to be positive, but to be some positive Pollyanna and to think, if I just am positive enough, everything's going to change. The, the Philippians says, Think about such things that are noble, that are excellent, that are praiseworthy. Paul makes a case for being positive. Don't get me wrong. But just to think, well, nothing's going to happen to me, brother. Let's just all get our thoughts together and let's sing Kumbaya and it'll all be good. Well, you know, sometimes things aren't going to be good. Sometimes things are just going to be hard. Sometimes people are going to get sick. Sometimes people are going to die. But praise be to Jesus Christ who is life. And he doesn't leave us alone. And he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He is my shepherd. He is my king. I trust in him. Oh, God, you're, you're good. I, I love this. And 1 John, write it down, 1 John 5, 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The key is getting God's will. 
And the way that I found God's will is getting in his word and praying his word and letting his word become a part of my life and conform my character to the image of Jesus Christ. And then I can walk in confidence and I can walk in kingdom authority. And Christ is honored here. So all things are possible for those that believe, but it's got to be on the menu. You like that? It's got to be on the menu. You ever, you ever go to a restaurant to eat and it's not on the menu? And you're like, well, I guess we ain't having that. And then you ask for it, they go, you're in the wrong restaurant. We don't have that here. Oh, okay. Well, here spiritually, it's got to be on the menu of God's word. And, and here's what I know about Christ. Christ will never contradict himself. He never contradicts his word. His word is complete truth. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. Are you grateful for that this morning? I can follow the one that will not lie to me. I can follow the one that is truth completely. Lord, we look to you. You've never made error. You've never sinned. And, and so let's, let's keep going here. He goes in verse 24. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. What a true statement. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Oh, God, I believe you can heal. I believe you can raise that person. I believe you can bring that prodigal home. God, I believe. I be oh, God, help my unbelief. I don't know if I believe. And so I pray that God would increase our faith even this morning by hearing the words of Jesus. That's why it's important to know the Gospels and read the Gospels, and God helps us. And uh, faith requires cultivation of spiritual habits I did a message before we started this series about the soul keeper and how important it is to protect and maintain and to develop your soul life in Christ and here once again I think that truth would just ring out to us here Lord give me an ability to hear from you let's keep going when Jesus saw the crowd and onlookers was growing he rebuked the evil listen your spirit Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said, I command you to come out of the child and never enter him. And the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion, and he left him. And the boy appeared to be dead. And a murmur ran through the crowd, and people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with the disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this can only be cast out only by prayer. And some translations even have the word in there, in fasting. This can only be done with, with strong prayer here. So for us here, help my unbelief. It's, inc it's encouraging, or it's for us to say, Lord, I want to overcome my unbelief, but Lord, make me a person of prayer, dependence on you. And God, there might be a season that you call me to fast, and when you do, Allow me to have physical and spiritual and emotional and mental strength to seek you, Lord. I wrote down this truth here. I, I've got to find it for you. I, I, think it, I think it'll speak to your heart about uh, the fasting thing. Hold on a minute. Let me see. Oh, the preeminence of Christ here. Okay. I've got to keep going. Maybe, maybe it'll come back around. Sorry. All right. So look here. So Jesus takes him here. Now, move to this next section. Important. Predicts his death. We're, we're going to start moving the, the chapters in Mark. They begin to pivot, but verse 30. Leaving that region, they traveled throughout Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with the disciples and teach them because they needed to learn. 
He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of the enemies. He'll be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. There it is again, rising from the dead. He's telling them over and over. You know, he tells them that a lot, but still they don't really totally get it. They didn't understand what he was saying. However, they were afraid to ask him what it meant. Here, here's what I'd encourage us this morning. When we don't understand something, run to God's Word. When we don't understand something, run to a trusted mentor. When we don't understand something, run to the throne and ask God to give you revelation, to give you insight, to give you His Word. I think so many times He does that for us if we just go to Him. Now, I want you, I want you to see this. This, this is critical. The greatest in the kingdom. The guys, they're kind of into themselves, and they're arguing, and they're having a thing, and Jesus is like, what, what are you guys arguing about? And they're like, shh, shh, shh. Because they want to know one thing. Who's going to be the greatest? Will I be the greatest? Will you be the greatest? And here's, here's what I think happens if, if you look at these guys. They'll come up on the screen. Well, Peter says, well, it's obvious that I'm the leader. After all, I was the first one that proclaimed that Jesus is the Messiah. Andrew says, wait, wait just a minute, brother. I introduced you to Jesus. I know I'm special. If it weren't for me, you'd still be out there in the boat fishing and cleaning nets, okay? And then James and John, not to be outdone by the other guys. Do you think these guys were competitive? I think so. Hold it right there. We're among the first to follow him. We've been with him longer than the rest. And then, and then this one guy, not to be out be done, his name is Judas. And Judas was like, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, here's what I got for you. What about me? He trusts me to take care of his money. You're thinking, well, he, he must have been a pretty prominent, pretty good position. And yet we see what he did and how he betrayed Christ. What we walk in through these scriptures and we see here these kingdom truths. Now, in verse 33, 41, I just want you to write out there, greatness out of service. You know, this is a whole message and I'm going to land it really quickly. But the whole thing is Jesus said, if you want to be great, if you want to be great, be the servant of all. Surrender. Serve others. Serve me. Serve my purposes. Reveal my glory. Be a living demonstration. I want you to write down this line here. Jesus is teaching his men the truth that true greatness is achieved through humble service to others. Humble. Humility. Clothed in compassion. Made like Christ. God, I, I want to serve you. You know, the Germany and Mexico team, I keep bragging about. Next weekend, we'll hear from Germany. In a couple weeks, we'll hear some of the reports from Mexico. And it was a humble effort to serve the king in another place. And yet, right here in Montgomery, Alabama, we find ourselves that this week, this day, we get to serve one another. We get to serve the purposes of God. We might offer a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. We might take a meal. We might, I, I don't know what we're going to do. But I pray that God make us servants. God, we want to be great. But God, we want to be great in the sense of not let everybody talk about me. But God, let them talk and boast in you. You're the great one, Lord. You're the one that deserves honor and glory. Lord, help me to be loyal to you, to run to you, to trust you. Let, let's keep going here. Look what he says. What were you discussing out there on the road? But they didn't answer because they were embarrassed. Which is the greatest? He sat down, called the twelve disciples over to him. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Verse 35. Look at 36. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me but, 
not only me, but also my Father who sent me. Boy, Jesus, boy, he just gets right to the heart of it. They're over there talking, boasting position or lack of position or who's important or whatnot. And then he goes, all right, I'm going to take a little child. Because, you know, at the end of the day, a little child is precious. A little child is awesome. But a little child doesn't have some powerful, prestigious position. They don't lord over us. Now, when you get a child, they kind of take over your house, and all the mom said, and you know they're there, and it takes everything of you. But here, he takes the children, and Jesus was always calling the children to him. I, I, I love this, and we'll, we'll see even more next weekend. But he says he welcomes him in verse 38. Jesus, or John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. And Jesus ends up having to rebuke these guys. Like, well, look, if they're not against us, you know, they're for us. I mean, it's a powerful thing here. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth. Surely that person will be rewarded. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fail into sin or fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. Now, here, here's what I say. This is a hard one right here. He talks about this millstone. Uh, there's different ones here, and they talk about this one probably weighed hundreds of pounds. And he said, it would be, be better if, if you mistreated, if you did wrong, that you just put that around your neck and be cast into the sea. And man, you just see the, 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 the sign there of tragedy and desperation and really a, a bad situation. And yet, Jesus is telling us here, love the sheep. Love the little ones. They're, they're special to me. I, I love how well that you hear at Christ community, how you love our children and how we go out for them. And yet we want to be servants and we want to serve kids. A story that I read years ago that I want to revisit today, it's powerful. There was a, in the Revolutionary War, General George Washington was commanding and he was coming up on his troop and troops and he, and, he, and he saw these men and they were out doing a job and they were trying to pull down a tree and it wasn't going so well and uh, so it appeared to him if they had the help of just one more man just one more man they they could probably pull this tree down and uh, so he was sitting there just kind of observing the situation and he looked over and he saw the commanding officer and he was shouting orders and he was doing his thing and, uh, and so washington asked him he says uh, sir why won't you help them uh, get the tree? He says, sir, I am their commander, and they do the work, not me. <laughs> he didn't know who George Washington was. So the story goes on that what Washington did was, he said, okay. So he got down off his horse. He helped those men move the tree. And later, you know, he's, he's like, man, I don't understand this. Like, uh, you know, who, who, who was that guy? And, and so he's watching the guys, and the guys all cried out to him. And they, and they basically just said this. Says, uh, he says, guys, if y'all need me, y'all call me, because Washington wanted to be a servant of men. And, and the men said, call you? He says, oh, and where can we find you, sir? He said, well, I'll tell you where I'm at. I'll be in the commander's tent. And the guy went, uh-oh. I'm in trouble because see Washington understood what it was to be a leader was to be a servant there's no doubt to me he was influenced by the word of Jesus Christ 
So the whole concept here today is to love the children and to be a servant of all here. Greatness out of service, humble service. And look at the last real quick. Gain out of loss, 42 through 50. Just this gain that comes out of loss that we emulate children, but it's really a matter of the heart. And be there with me. This really gets sober, guys. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two and to be thrown into hell. When the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. And another translation says where the worm never dies. For everyone will be tested with fire. And, and look at this. I, I thought this was interesting as I read it in another translation. I want you to see this. The worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, I'm going to do this quickly because I'm out of time. But here's the premise. This right here just really speaks about hell, that hell is real. And a lot of times people go, well, pastor, you know, I don't scream and I don't yell. That's not my, I get enthusiastic, but I don't, I don't yell at you. But, but as I think about it, this hell thing is real. And, and Jesus talks about that it's eternal. And we won't escape it if we don't have Jesus Christ. So I would never, ever want to result in trying to scare somebody into the kingdom of Christ. I would want you to surrender your heart and your will to him and follow him. But in doing that, you will escape the flames and the worms and the judgment of eternity in hell for heaven. Hey, in a few weeks, I'm going to get to do something really neat. I'm going to be doing a, a, a revival. Actually, I'm doing two revivals two weeks in a row. I hadn't done revivals in a long time. And so I'm kind of excited about that. So it'll be evangelistic time. But this morning, I just think about us as we look at these truths. We're just making our mark through the book of Mark. And we're marking it up. And next weekend, I'm going to talk about one tough topic. And, uh, and it'll be very biblical. And then we'll talk about divorce. And then we'll talk about children. And we're just going to walk through the Word of God together. As your pastor, I've got a big goal. Is that we learn God's Word together. And that we do God's Word together in community. Amen? And we're right on the season of small groups coming. I hope and pray that this year... This will be the year that you go. Get a chair for me. I want to be in one. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is so good to be in your house and how you care and love us. And Lord, I thank you that we can escape literally hell and judgment and fire and all these things through the precious blood of Christ. Lord, you are more than enough. Your sacrifice was sufficient. And we're grateful. This morning, we experienced that sacrifice through Holy Communion. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, today, we want to move toward your heart. And God, I pray that out of all this material, somehow you chose the very thing that we needed to hear from you today, some, some kingdom truth, some kingdom nugget. God, make your deposit in us. Make us like you, Jesus. Lord, teach us to follow you every day. Lord, help us to give our hearts away to you completely. I ask this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.